Hello, and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. You're here with Jill, Gracia, Dave, Dawn, and each week we'll be taking you through a true crime story from our home in New England. Each story is coupled with a drink of the week to help ease your mind as we dive into the dark and scary. So, Gracia, what we got on the table this week? Well, this week is Dawn's week, so we did a Mai Tai in honor of him. The recipe for our Mai Tai can be found at food.com recipe, the best Mai Tai. It is a little strong, guys, so this watch that when you make it. fuck you up Mai Tai. <laughs> Definitely the fuck you up Mai Tai. <laughs> <laughs> and for our mocktail, we got one from Lizan Call. It is a Mai Tai mocktail party punch. Jill, do you want to talk about what we put in it? A lot. Yeah, sure. We put in, um, so first thing, actually, it's a, it's good. I tried the non-alcoholic thing, but what I would recommend if you're going to make this punch is that you um, maybe make a slightly smaller recipe because this made so much that we'll be drinking um, Mai Tai mocktails for a week, I think. No, you won't. <laughs> the mocktail part of it, we might, you know? But uh, we put in pineapple juice, orange juice, grenadine, uh, simple syrup, although the recipe called for almond syrup and I just didn't have any. And a full liter of soda, club soda, basically. Um, it makes this together really nice. I like it, Dave. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, the mocktail's good. I think it's a good complement to the Mai Tai. I think both of them go well together. For sure. Yep, I mixed mine together. Alright, so we're about to take a big sip and a deep breath and turn it over to Don. What... What story are we covering today? All right. Our talk today is concerns uh, with the Moynihan murders occurred back in 1973. Uh, Maureen, this was a mother-daughter murder, if you can believe it. Um, uh, Maureen was the mom. Jennifer was the little girl. Maureen was 32 years of age at the time. The little girl was only four. A real heinous crime. If They're all heinous. But this one for some reason really stuck with me when I heard about it. And I heard about this about four years back from somebody uh, I was driving with. Um, both victims had their throats cut. Imagine that. It was evident at the scene that Maureen had put up a hell of a fight. No doubt a mother, you know, defending her, her daughter to her last breath. God no bless her. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? So, just to follow some of Maureen's steps that day when she was murdered, she had left the couple's little ranch house on Nancy Drive in Rutland, Mass. Left that morning, she dropped off their six-year-old son, Timothy, and his friends at kindergarten. Afterwards, she ran errands in the town, including a stop at a hardware store on Route 122A, those of you that are familiar with Rutland. Uh, that runs straight through and connects to 122 on state conservation lands, like right around uh, Rutland State Forest. That was the last time anyone in town saw her. So you're talking about 1 p.m. So we'll keep track of times here because the, the, the timelines do have something that we can look at. Just to mention, her husband, uh, Gerald Moynihan, was a math teacher. He taught at West Boylston Junior Senior High School, and he was teaching that day. That evening, when his wife and daughter didn't come home, 
I reported them missing and checked for any accidents in the area. Now, Rutland was a pretty small town back then, about half the population it is today. And it's still a small town today, yeah. actually. Right, yeah. it's, it's, but it's a double the size population-wise. Wow. Um, but back then, you were talking 1,500 people in, the, in, uh, 1500. in, in Rutland. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of people there. There's like so, that in high school now, right? <laughs> yeah. I said there's like that in the high school now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's grown. Everything's grown. So he spent a very bad, sleepless night, uh, the poor man, in the company of some of his neighbors. He had no idea, and this is an important fact, where his wife and daughter were. None. They never came home that night, and this had never happened before in their marriage. And in 1973, there were no cell phones, there was no GPS tracking devices, there's no easy way to find someone, right? So right. You kind Whole of have different to, world. Yeah, you have what to time wait. is he making phone calls about this? Did you just say what time he calls the police? No. Mm. No, I didn't pick that up. At least I didn't see it mentioned. Okay. Just yeah. curious. I'm assuming it's when he got home before dinner. I'll tell you why I think that, because... He complained a little that she didn't come home for make dinner. <laughs> and, and, God forbid and, and, there's and, not food on the table when I get home. That's right. <laughs> it was in 1973 after Where's home. my grub? And he had to put the kids to bed. My God. I know, I know how I would have felt back then. <laughs> Rough. <laughs> so the police should have automatically known, though, that she didn't leave him because she would not, no woman is going to leave their husband with and only take one of their children and leave the others. They're going to take all of their children. So exactly, actually, very good point, David. I would yeah. agree with that statement. I would never, you know, you would never leave the other. You'd be like, all right, let's get out of here. And you get everybody. Of course, the, the town police force at the time, and I'll and I'll uh, redundantly mention this again a little later on. There were two people in the police force, both of them putting in about half time. Yeah, actually, Dad, isn't it true that technically there was no police force in Rutland? They didn't have, like, a, a police building or an office or anything like that, cruiser. In fact, the guy who was sort of the chief was, like, the guy who owned the local cafe, right? Right, right. And that's almost like a volunteer fireman nowadays. Like, exactly. You know, if, you're, if a town's not big enough to have a full fireman, they have, like, two or three people that volunteer, and they're actually at other jobs, and then they get called in. So right. We could call it Volunteer Police Department. <laughs> Didn't Just, really have any crime to speak of, nothing like this. As a matter of fact, the, the husband, you know, was checking around to see if there were any accidents. They didn't have any serious accidents either back then. They do now. I've seen some. <laughs> um, they definitely do now. Yeah, they definitely do now. So let's move on to how and, and uh, where they were discovered, Maureen and her daughter. So this happened just off of Ware Road in Rutland, Massachusetts. And Ware Road is a very isolated, mostly dirt road, with one entrance point off of 122A. It's right near Rutland State Park. And I'll tell you something about this road. You'd have to be looking for it, or you're going to go right by it. And I know this because that happened to me. <laughs> I was just about to ask that, like, because yep. I'm picturing that road, and there is a bunch of Rutland State Park signs on both sides of the road, so I'm trying to like picture exactly where Ware Road is on that. Yeah, that little road, I'm sorry. On that stretch of property, where would it be? Right, that little road itself um, has very little marked on it, other than we don't plow it. Uh. Right, and it is, it is, it's very <laughs> rustic, it's overgrown. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, it's not a place that you would expect Maureen to go or okay. to bring her daughter to, that is for sure. So the Telegram and Gazette, they describe this road themselves as nothing more than an overgrown dirt path. Very isolated, very isolated. And about midway down the path, on your left, if you were heading off of Route 122A, there's a large field. Now, I've been here, and I've seen this field. It made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, because I knew what I was thinking about, obviously. All right, so on the following morning, now, June the 6th, a couple of young men from the town were headed to the state conservation land, probably do some fishing, enjoy the day. As they were nearing their destination, they saw a car in this field. And one of the doors was flung open. It's a very odd place to see it. They hadn't seen such a thing like that before. Um, I tell you, I've looked at that field, as I said before, and imagined such a car in it. And I know I'd have stopped, too. And I'd have checked that. It was just very, very odd place. Especially if it wasn't like a state police vehicle or something. Because the forestry departments can go out there with their four-wheelers. Or you see those, like... Um what are they called? They have the half trucks that carry all the equipment out for the state parks. Like, that would be normal to me, but a regular car probably wouldn't be. No, no. As I said, they'd never seen anything like that in that field. So, one of the young fellows, he was a senior at said High at the time, saw a bloodied woman on the ground behind the car. So, the young man immediately took his friend and they went rushed back into town in their car, of course. Um, to tell the sort of part-time cop, if you will, what had happened. This officer's name was Bob Zopo, and he was working as usual in a store. He operated the Rutland Variety and Luncheonette. Today you'd know that as the Rutland Pizza Shop. Oh, I've been there. They have good pizza. They it actually sucks. do. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I do like them. Yeah, mm -hmm. Whenever I take um, Poppy to the vet, because we do the in Rutland. Um, yeah, it's right near there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. I'll go to them because they, they definitely have good pizzas worth it. So. And you know, as I said before, the uh, townies knew Bob as one of two men on their little police force. The other was the police chief, Hugo Alanovi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And both men, of course, have, have passed on since 1973. My rough estimate is that the drive from the crime scene to the Rutland Variety Store, it took no more than 10 minutes. I've lived in this area for over 30 years. I live in Barrie, Massachusetts, and I visit Rutland quite a bit. I had an elderly friend over there I used to take care of. Um, and I have a pretty good idea how long it takes to get from point A to point B. About 10 minutes. 10 minute drive at the most. So. Officers up over, he returns with a young man to Ware Road. And upon arriving, he looked in the front seat and saw a deceased child. Can you imagine? He found Maureen. I'm sorry? Sorry, heartbreaking. Yeah, oh, it is heartbreaking. It's just... He found Maureen's body as well lying in the back of the car on the ground. And up to this point, Officer Zuppo didn't know that this involved deaths of all. The young man who had made him aware of this had basically just said, hey, I just saw a woman laying on the ground here. It looked like she's bleeding, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, he knew it now. 
he knew it now. So pretty soon thereafter, the area was swarming with police. They were all investigating the scene and taking photographs and whatever they did back in 1973. The case was very quickly turned over to the Mass State Police. An officer, Joe McCain, and Officer Billy White were two of the officers assigned. Um, my daughter Jill and I have seen some of the police notes taken on that day and following days, and that's all we're going to say about that. Well, actually, just to say a little bit more, what's interesting is that the town of Rutland doesn't have any record of this crime. And so if you Google it or you go there and try to find it, you won't. That's um, crazy. So when Dad says we saw some of these original police records, um, we did make a connection with someone who had them. And um, that it was kind of really fascinating that... that where they are, you know, stored in a box somewhere, you know. It's and that the town of Rutland really doesn't even acknowledge it is kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bodies were found there. It should be logged somewhere in their history of records. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's one other thing, too, that occurs to me is that the two men who found the bodies, um, I happen to have a personal connection to. So one of them is my former father-in-law. And um, in all the years that we uh, knew him, he never spoke of this. We would, no. I would never had any idea. Um, and my guess is it's probably very haunting for him and probably a sure. Yeah, the, the T&G at the time, and so the Boston Globe reported that he, it made him sick and he never really got over it. It was, it was, can you imagine, he's 19 years old growing up in Western Mass. I don't, yeah, so it was just, yeah. His bad luck that day. I guess so. Yeah. And I've listened to a few people talk about when they've come up on bodies. Like, I've never seen a fresh dead body, so I can't say what would happen to me. But you hear, like, you watch all these different things, and they say they threw up, they, the, noise, the smell burned their nose. Like, you wonder what he felt. Because knowing him personally, like, you're trying to picture this guy coming up on a dead woman and a child. Right. Yeah. Like, and, you know, the paper also said that the police took... Uh, many photographs and laid them out on the back of the car and the person that we're talking about, Jill, your ex-father-in-law there, um, uh, did mention that, yeah, he saw these photographs and it was just horrific. It was just, you know, more than he could really handle at the time, so. Especially a kid. I don't know that I, I mean, for some reason I can picture an adult dead body better than a child's dead body. Probably just the uh -huh. way that I think of things, but a child's dead body, I don't know that I could even... Yeah. Handle it. I probably would just, I don't even know. Especially killed in such a horrific manner. Correct. Too. It's across the throat's throat. Cut. Like, yeah. Throat's cut. You know that's... And one thing to do too. that to an adult woman, that's terrible enough, but mm -hmm. a four-year-old child, I just... Did they say if there was any sign of sexual assault either? Yes, I'm going to get to that. Okay, yeah. excellent. Teaser. Well, sexual, yeah, Leah, let me get to that, and then, because uh, there's some interesting stuff there. So... Just so you know, in Massachusetts, the district attorney of jurisdiction is in charge of all death investigations, except for the cities of Worcester, Springfield, Pittsfield, and Boston. These folks investigate their own homicides. So, Bill Buckley, a district attorney in 1973, who is now deceased, said at the time that the mother and daughter died of stab wounds into the neck, Medical tests indicated they were killed between 3 and 4 p.m. June the 5th. Remember now, June the 5th they're killed, June the 6th they're discovered. 
So there's a significant window of time when Maureen left the hardware store about 1 o'clock and being discovered the next day. It seems the deceased mother and daughter were in that field overnight until the next morning. Imagine if you can. No, because... So yeah, what, what do you guys think? What was she doing? What was she doing at that field? Almost sounds like they were carjacked, would be my guess. That's kind of my thought, too, actually, is that maybe whoever killed them tricked to them, you know, whereas hitchhiking, because people hitchhiked all the time back in the, the 1973. Time. I did. Yeah, yeah, you sure did. And, um, yeah, other, you know, other people. And now, of course, today, nobody hitchhikes because we know the danger of hitchhiking. You could pick up some kind of psychopath. So I'm kind of with Dave. Something else, too, I remember from, uh, I was 22 and, 1973, just married. Um, I didn't do it, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. One, 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 <laughs> one thing sure. I, uh, I remember at that time, too, is that there were a lot of folks, older folks, adults, buying grass. So what do you know about that road? Oh, yeah, you, that's a road where people would go on to smoke grass, but I'm looking at a picture of the deceased right here, and... I don't know. I I don't see her as the type that's going around buying grass, especially if her daughter's with her. The, that's the part that throws me off the daughter. Because initially, when you started talking about this, I was like, oh, she's on the pot. She's out there smoking pot, doing whatever. But with the daughter, like, who does that with your kid? Like, hey, hang out here while I smoke some pot. Well, mother's little helper is a real thing, right? And sure. So if you develop maybe an addiction to something that you're using to take care of your children, I have four children and I love them all to itty-bitty pieces. They're wonderful. But there were some days that, you know, <laughs> I could have used this stiff drink or a... Was it toxic? At the end of the day, you're exactly. like, I deserve this, you know? So you, maybe you're right. I just feel like driving with it is different than, like, going out in your back porch and being like, I need to just chillax and get stoned. Driving and taking your kids somewhere. I mean, maybe the 70s things weren't as... I mean, we all know we didn't wear seatbelts. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> but what if she was just buying it? What if she was just buying it? That is a very good point. Drug deal gone bad. It was a teenage hangout spot. It was a makeout spot. And it was a spot where you'd, you'd buy grass. Like, this is two in a row with teenage makeout spots. So, so that's, you know, that's an open question, I guess. It was, I, I don't remember reading or hearing that they found any evidence of drugs or, you know. Yeah, so did they do a toxicology during her autopsy? Don't know. Good question. That is a great question. Yeah. It's very hard to get any information on this case, let me tell you. It really is very, very yeah, difficult. The, but we should probably then err on the side of caution, right? And mm -hmm. say that she was most likely not some right. yeah. drug Most user. of this is speculation, everybody. Yeah, yeah we're just, just speculating. Just us and our wild imaginations. Figure it yeah. out. Our, our illustrious history has taught us that. In my mind, <laughs> looking at this, though, Personal that... experience says... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. In my mind, looking at this, I thought, other than the the DNA evidence itself, which we'll talk about, um, if you could figure out why she was there and how she got there, because she had never been there before, according to husband, and he had no clue she'd be going there. Right? I was actually going to ask this question, because I know for me, like when I was studying in college and stuff, there's a certain spot in Purgatory Chasm, which is not far from my house. I used to go up and bring my books so I could study there. Uh -huh. Because if I studied at home, there's a hundred distractions. You want to do the laundry, the dishes, you want to do everything for your kids. Um, 
But if I went for this walk in the woods, I could sit up there on the top of that rock and nobody would bother me and I could actually get my homework done. And nature's the best spot for me to get shit done because you're just like so relaxed. So I was about to ask whether she was someone who liked the outdoors or not, but I was waiting until. Um, I didn't, either way, didn't get any data on that one. Although, I would say that my husband probably doesn't know where I go every day, all day long. I mean, he might. Of course not. Track my phone. Or I was just going like to say, he's going to beep, beep, beep. That's why he doesn't. Not in 1973, though, he'll find my iPhone. He's watching you on Snapchat drive around. <laughs> but I mean, like, maybe you don't report that kind of stuff. Took child for a walk in the woods or, you know, down this Correct. path or something like that because... It was a beautiful day. Yeah. Well, and, like, we all take selfies. You didn't take those back then, so right. it, wouldn't you be like, oh, me and my daughter went for a walk today, and here's a selfie of us. You wouldn't see that kind of thing back then. Were yeah. there flowers in this field? Is it that you made possible she brought her daughter to go get some flowers? Oh, good thought. Don't good know. Thought, yeah. um, especially back in 73. I've got pictures of the field today. Uh... It is just a huge field. It's um, in, on the edges overgrown. Almost looks line. like a bird cons conservation area. One of the things like, that to me on that photo. I couldn't quite figure out, but I didn't go all the way around the field. There's like between the road and the field. There's quite a hump of, of um, growth or dirt. She whatever. got four wheel drive. How's yep. she getting in there? I don't know. She <laughs> drove it up there, you know. And this you can see along the tree line along the. She would have gone in between. I, I really couldn't figure that out. But I, again, I didn't go all the way around. So for those that can't see the photo, there is a good amount of area that trying to get a car in there, you'd have to have some kind of vehicle that could get through a thick brush. Yeah, and we'll post these pictures to our Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, getting back to the <laughs> scene of the crap. So it's the nitty gritty. At nine forty-five that night, detectives did bring in a person of interest for questioning, and we're going to talk more about them when we get the suspects and persons of interest. And after this point, the initial investigation went somewhat cold. Now three years passed. Three years. District Attorney John Conte, who inherited the case when he became the DA in 76 acknowledged that lack of evidence the year we were born. Woo -hoo, woo -hoo. that's the year me and Jill were born 76 oh <laughs> just a little celebration in there while you're talking is that when you were born Jill I was <laughs> that's what I look around there's another kid in the house I don't know she showed up just randomly <laughs> sunshine of your life right so the DA was complaining at this time um well, complaining, that's not the right word. He was reporting that there was just no evidence, and that stymied their investigation. He did say that there was a very viable suspect, but the evidence just wasn't there. Do we have a suspect? Yes, he said. Do we have evidence? No, he said. Not enough evidence. This quote was published in local newspapers three years later. Now, he claimed at the time that the case was anything but cold, Evidence was sent out for DNA analysis for whatever it was at so that point in time. Are we still in 76 DNA analysis? 76. Okay, just science. So a pretty rudimentary, I would think, analysis yeah. back then. Um, the evidence at the scene was preserved. 
and he did talk about they found that they they found sperm, and uh, they were hoping they would get a hit. He would not say there was any assault of either person. Of so either. is that an affair? Sorry. Well, no, don't be sorry. Nobody, nobody said. Nobody. Uh, you know, I thought about that as you know, did she go to meet somebody? And, um, yeah. The only question in my mind is, why would you bring your daughter? Yeah. You had no other where for her to be. Like, yeah, you have no other babysitter. Would, really? Yeah, is that, is that what you do? I don't doing? know. That's not what I do, but I mean, thanks, thanks for calling me out there, though. Yeah. I mean, you need somebody to hold the camera. <laughs> David, I was literally picturing the kid holding the camera there. I had to, like, that's why that laugh was so weird for everybody there. I'm just saying, if she were I'm in a bad marriage, blah, 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 had somebody else... She may be going at all costs to just feel needed. I think what we're talking about here is possibilities and probabilities. Right. So this is possible, what degree of probability, right? Well, sperm with no force. Well, it's well, not a husband's sperm, he didn't right? Say, like, he didn't say no force. He, just, he wouldn't say it was an assault. He wouldn't say one way or the other. So this sounds to me like they're withholding something. Well, did they say, like... Where are they? I don't want to be gross, but did they say like where they found the sperm? Was it like a pile of sperm on the car, or was it, you know, did in they her, do yeah. a rape kit? Or I mean, uh, did they have rape kits? Rape just, kits. I don't know if they yeah. had them back then. If they didn't have them, then how did they? I mean, it could be like I don't know on clothing because there are some fucked up Weird people out there who. Mm -hmm. you know, um, no, it wasn't. Own. It wasn't reported. I didn't see it in the police notes. Like it wasn't told about it. So. Um, just, we don't know, is what the truth of that is. And it's very hard to get Mass State Police to tell you anything, because they're in the business of holding back on evidence, because people are going to confess who didn't do it. True. All right? And, and so they, they withhold this evidence, key evidence, so that they can check it out. You know, they can tell if somebody's credible or not, right? Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Don, I thought that it was said that there was a sign of a long struggle. She put up a hell of a fight. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So hell of a was, fight. I Good was point. about to mention she that fought. wasn't there was she, a fight, so Yeah, she I fought. forgot that part. But so. we don't know at what point in time. Right, was she out there having an affair and then guy comes up? Guy goes, This is like, the last time. No no no, different guy. I'm saying like she was having sex in the woods with some dude. Like life oh is God. great. <laughs> As you do when you have a four year old daughter with you. I don't know what she's doing, dude. I don't know what uh, like. Yeah. <laughs> Gracia, we're going too personal. I'm not judging. <laughs> I'm not judging. I don't know her, but I mean, if you if you're out in the woods and then you now can take advantage of this young lady after she's in her afterglow, you know there might be some moments. There Boys are, are gross. Boys are gross. This is quite yeah. the rabbit hole we've gone down. Guys. <laughs> we've gone down a huge rabbit hole. Yeah, there are a lot of possibilities. The probabilities are probably something else. I'm sure that. Police in their minds went over some of this. It's what the heck are you doing? Out it's of your the seventies, isn't everybody having uh, sex? Like, oh, right? that's true. Yeah. Wasn't free love a thing? Like, well, that well, was that was sixties. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we're still going into the seventies because a lot of drugs. Seventy three was kind of, from my a memory, it's a transitional year. You know, the Vietnam War was still going on, but it was almost over. Yeah, there were drugs around. People, you know, the the hippie movement, whatever, that was still going on as well, but. It felt like a transitional year. I mean, it really did. And things kind of toned down during the 70s um, after that point for a while. 
<laughs> we won't <laughs> talk about today, but I mean, my father-in-law has told me some weird stories from those times. But, but so Craig raises a good point. <laughs> um, it, it, this woman did fight. She made a, and they, the person who reported that was the police officer first who went there. And um, the, the way he put it, let me see if I look at my notes, is she put up a hell of a fight. It wasn't just, you know... So how, how did he know that? We don't know. We don't know if there were defensive wounds on her body. We don't know if um, blood on the car. Yeah, putting up a hell of a fight. I always picture, like, your fingernails would have yeah, stuff on it. You, you, yeah. I mean, if you're fighting with everything you got, your hands are part of that. So I picture wounds all yeah. over your arms. Yeah, she was. I picture, you know, swinging as much as you can. like. Absolutely. And that's probably an indicator it's somebody that she probably doesn't have a relationship with, right? Because, you know, if it's somebody that you're intimate with and then they turn on you for whatever reason, maybe you're caught by surprise and you don't have time for that response. I think you're right about that. So I think that the probability of of that theory probably goes way down as we think it through, like you've just said. Um, This person also had a knife. As a matter of fact, uh, in the police notes, if you remember, we saw the drawing of the knife the policeman had made, right? So it wasn't her, their throats were cut, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. That's oftentimes done from behind. A person will do that from behind versus from in front um, because it's actually easier to pull back on somebody's head and cut their throat from behind than it is to actually do it while you're facing somebody. Usually if you are killing somebody that you're intimate with, it's more of a stabbing type of attack. Yeah. yeah and, and for that one, someone could have just crawled in the back seat and got them, and then mom tried to get out of the car to go get help or something. It really sounds to me like a carjacking. Yeah, carjacking they is number said, one. said, hey, you're going to drop us off in this field. She's trying to do as best she can. Then for whatever reason, they probably attack her daughter, and the woman is not going to allow for that, and that's when the murders take place. I would almost imagine there's possibly two people involved. And if you think about it, she would do anything to protect her daughter. So oh, yeah, absolutely. If she's at the said hardware store at 1, and someone gets in the backseat of her car and mm-hmm. says, drive to this field, she's going to do it. Right. He's got a knife slash gun slash whatever to her throat. Her kid is right there. She's going to do whatever this guy says. Yeah, so let's take a moment here for a PSA. My dad's always taught us that before we get in a car, we check the backseat, just... Take a peek in, look to see if anybody's in there. Could save your life one day. Be aware of your surroundings. And this hey, was a hot day, right? It was a it was a beautiful morning. It was a hot day when when she was discovered. The day before was also uh, June the fifth was also a nice day too. So if you have a hot day, you probably leave your windows open. Nineteen seventy three. Anybody could have reached in, unlocked your car, even if yeah. you had locked it. But we're talking about Rutland, Massachusetts where I'm sure if you walk through many of the parking lots in front of the hardware store, you'd find there are quite, probably quite a few people who, you know, they just don't lock their car because they know the town. They know everybody that lives in the town. It's one of those towns like Barrie. Everybody knows everybody. You know, um, you feel safe there. So. And, and she probably was just running in somewhere. Like, we didn't have electric locks, so she would have had to, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, hit every single lockdown. Right. She probably just got out of the car, went into the store, and he could have jumped in at that point and said, ooh, young mother, alone. 
And back then it wasn't uncommon. I mean, nowadays, if you leave your kid in a car for five seconds, you you know, the police will get called. Um, but, you know, back then, you know... Our parents uh, thought our, the car was yeah. a babysitter. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> yeah I, I used to turn the heat up. And then, uh, <laughs> that is so true. I think I'm in that car. <laughs> Hey, just stay here. here. We're gonna go do something. Yeah, we're in a few hours. <laughs> here, guys, Let play me with know these when cards. Well. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm sorry. Um, so anyway, all the material was sent to CODIS. You know the DNA and and what have you, and um, the fingerprint X index, and the FBI runs it. It goes all over the country. So we're still hoping for a hit. The DA said. So now let's step forward 17 years. For 17? 17, 17 more year years. <laughs> so according to um, her son, who's now grown up, Timothy Moynihan, he claims that the police told him that they knew who did it, but they couldn't arrest anyone because they didn't have the evidence. So we're back to that again. Um, police are pretty sure they know who did it, but for the reasons why they think they know they did it, it's not enough to arrest somebody. So that's what he was told. According to the police, he said his mother and sister were murdered by a 19-year-old, thereabouts, local man who was not one of the young men who found the victims, and that's important to say that. That is important. I know police figured it out, he did, he told the TNG. The person who did it spent a significant amount of time in jail, was not very nice, and is currently out, Mr. Moynihan said, adding that he did not know, nor, does he, nor did he want to know anymore. Um, he graduated from Shrewsbury High, he served in the Army for four years, working as a radio mechanic in Germany for a combat unit. Um, he later attended, like his mom, Worcester State College, he graduated in 1994 with a Bachelor of Science degree in Computer Science, and got on with his life. Never married, never had children, at least as to that point. The lesson Mr. Moynihan said he took from the slangs is that tragedies happen and you have to move on. So, any more cons? Before we get into suspects and persons of interest, because this is going to tie back to a lot of things we've been talking about. Um, anything, any more comments at this point? You're going to be graded. Oh, well, in that case, I... Uh, <laughs> um, I don't have any comments. I'm just kind of curious who we got for suspects, because in my natural life, I don't necessarily believe the police at all times. So. Well, here's a picture that I can show you, but nobody else, and we will again put this up on our website. Yeah. That should give you nightmares. So yeah, I'm showing my husband the... and wife. I'm sorry, David, go ahead. So that guy on that r the right kind of reminds me of the song Wild-Eyed Crazy Mary, because um, <laughs> that is quite the expression he's got on his face there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a different expression. I mean, it's also a police photo, so like... Who smiles for that camera? Like, hey guys. Charlie Manson. He does. Uh, That's sure like that one, right? That lady down in Arizona that um, she uh, she was like doing like she was having a model. And she... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make sure you look good at all times, right? You know. Uh, what was I can't think of her name off the top. He actually of my looks head. like a few people that I know, like 
working in, um, it sounds horrible, but he looks a little like a couple of the homeless people that I know. Yeah. Because um, he has that, like, the all-around hair, the beard through the mask, you know, he, he's got that look of a couple of them. Yeah, that wild-eyed look, great, too. Great guys. I mean, I'm not saying any of them are bad people, because, please, these guys are awesome, but th that photo looks like the two of them. If they were in a lineup, they probably could get confused. So that night, June the 6th here, at 9.45 p.m., MSP officers um, brought Leon Henry Shaw Jr. <coughs> excuse me, in for questioning. They didn't charge him, and after a period of time, he was released. So Leon and his common-law wife were living in the area, and he worked for Ware Manufacturing. Later, and this is very interesting, uh, Leon and his wife would be wanted in several states for kidnapping and raping children. Oh, yeah, they're quite the sweet couple. So it's really Ooh, yeah. So forget what I said before about being an innocent face. Yeah, Sorry complete about that. monsters, these two. Yeah. They, wanted, they were wanted by the FBI for sexual molestation of children ages 6 to 17 years old occurring between uh, December 1999 and prior. In January of 2000, the Circuit Court for the State of Oregon, now appreciate these two people were moving all over the country, as and you Bundy. will see, keeping a step ahead and changing their hunting grounds, apparently. But anyway, yeah, the arrest warrants were issued for Shaw after two counts of sodomy in the first degree, four counts of sex abuse, first degree, Five counts of rape in the first degree and six counts of felony in possession of a firearm and obstruction of governmental administration. Just an all-around fella. Yeah. So Shitty people to the core. Like. His, his partner, Victoria Michelle Kravitz, was charged with three counts of rape, Kravitz. first degree, one count of sodomy, oh my lord, in the first degree, and... Subsequently, federal arrest warrants were issued for the couple in the United States District Court in Medford, Oregon. And Tell me these people are in jail currently? Like, these people aren't, like, roaming, are they? I, I'll get... Okay, sorry. Get to that. Um, so, they took off after these warrants were issued. They ended up on the uh, most wanted list, the FBI. It's very rare for a couple to end up on that list. They were on that list for two decades. Oh, my God. Two decades. A real Bonnie and Clyde in a different way. Ugh. So they had Massachusetts ties. Shaw was born in Massachusetts. Um, he was described in the FBI bulletin as a white male, 5'4", five 5'6", five, inches, approximately 135 pounds, brown eyes, black graying hair, etc. He had tattoos all over him. His right, left forearms, hands and back. His tattoos of spiders, skulls, snakes, and the words, Son of Satan, on his chest. Again, oh, just an all-around, all-American. So this guy a suspect? Really? So, 73, what year was Berkowitz? Oh, I, in New York, I, you know, I don't know. If they're about the same time, right? I, yeah, well, that's a, that's why I'm saying. That's a similar... Well, look it up on the internet. But, yeah, no, I... I yeah. That's a similar tie. Yeah. Sorry. Do we no, want to say sorry. what that is no. for anybody who maybe doesn't know what Berkowitz is? Um, he was the son of Sam. 
he killed people, women, because his dog told him to? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you go up behind him in like their car, just... Yeah. Mostly girls who were hooking up in spots that yeah. they thought were having uh, sexual relations. He would kill them. Uh, Charming. Yep. So... These two fine folks were finally caught because Leon got sick. At this point in time, they moved to, um, do we need to break? Uh, Mississippi. And uh, his, his uh, common-law wife brought him to, you know, the ER and made the mistake of using their real name. <laughs> so Leon died. He actually died. He died in Mississippi? Uh, yes, okay. in July of 2018, and of course she was, she was arrested. Hoping um, to hide in the Ozarks. So they had a couple decades on the run. She's now in prison in Mississippi. She's doing, I believe, a 20-year stretch. Uh, good to know I can that verify that. We'll check that a little bit. So, for those who are going to look at these photos suspect. later... Those that looks like a quite a big age difference, no? Is that it an age? It does look like quite a big age difference. Uh, age so difference you mean? Yeah. A uh, husband, common-law, wife. Is there a big age difference there? There's definitely a long age since he's taken a shower. So it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, David, you you make a good point because he looks very disheveled. And she looks about ready to go out on a date here. So right. we, we, we're looking at two side-by-side -side photographs of the two. She's looking for the hookup. And he's um, like, dude, I yeah, just slept in my car for six months. But I tell you this, I calculated, you remember the police said that it told the son, Maureen's son, that the killer was 19 years of age. Well, this guy, Leon, although he often gave his date of birth differently from time to time. <laughs> no way. Um, he wasn't shady at all. <laughs> was probably, it's probably about my age, about 22 years old at the time. So who knows? You know, facts like that. But I feel like that's relative. If you said 19 to 22, like those ages are kind of like similar, right? If you right. saw someone, that's why when you're a bartender, IDing right. is so hard right. because everybody carries age differently. That's true. And couldn't you buy a... 18 back then anyway, so... True. <laughs> yeah. yeah, during the Vietnam War, as I remember, because I, when I was 18, I could buy booze, and yeah, it was great. They figured if you could go off and die, I guess you could get drunk before you went. But, I guess. Well, and I guess where like legal records weren't as much of a everyday thing, he could lie about his age constantly, and nobody could verify it. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. that's true. Like, when you're not, like, nowadays, lying about anything, they're like, nope, just Googled you. You're a liar. Right. Like, you can find out information so fast now. Back then, he could be like, I'm 25. What so, before we move on to the next suspect, one of the things that interests me about um, Leon and his, and Victoria here, is that they didn't kill. So their career be... On the time they left from Massachusetts, got on the uh, 10 Most Wanted list, they weren't killers. They were molesters of children, is what they were. So that, that sort of stuck in the back of my mind. I'm thinking about modus operandi. Mm -hmm. If you're really the kind of person who's going to cut somebody's throat. But I can argue against myself, too, at the same time, but I'm going to save that for later when we talk about typologies of killers. I was actually wondering where you were going to bring that in, because the kid is so young, the mom is not of age of 
that type of thing. Right. Mom's 32. But I was waiting for you to say, like, they also dealt drugs on the side. <laughs> but she well, had a four-year-old in her car. That's so young. How young were they molesting, though? I don't... Yeah, see, this is, this is where these unknowns are because police withhold information. Mm. There are probably police reports and, and uh, forensic stuff and, and autopsy notes that, you know, would give us some of this information, but we're never going to be privy to them, that's for sure. Because when you read a lot of, like, sexual profiles on, like, pedophiles, it's like they like a certain age group. Oh, that's gross. So, like, disgustingly enough, a four-year-old is a very specific age group. You know, like, disgustingly enough, I keep saying that, but 12 to, like, 17 is kind of where everybody kind of hangs out. That four-year-old, like, who thinks a four-year-old is sexy? Do you find like, yourself reading a lot of this? Uh... I read too much true crime. <laughs> I, if you hike with me, I carry a knife and mace on each side of me, Excellent. so be careful. Oh, like, I, if you come up to me, you're in trouble. Yeah, like, I'm on that page, believe me. Yep, yeah, because it's me or you, and I'm not going down. Right. Like, that's how my life goes. It was a period of time in U.S. history, a lot of people don't know this is an obscure fact, when there weren't a lot of assaults on women, of course, women didn't have a lot of freedom to get out on their own, but you remember when they used to wear the hat pins? Women wore hat pins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those things are hell of a weapon. What a shame they went away from those hats. You know. Was... Well, people tease me all the time, because when you see me, I have my backpack and I have both things strapped to me. And I've been in the woods by myself, and if a guy comes up to me, I have them both in my hands, because yep. I'm, I'm ready just in case. Yeah. And I felt bad one time because it was a, an elderly gentleman. And, uh, oh, the priest that just you in were case, telling me about. You just said, in case. Was that the priest I'm you ready. talked about? No. 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 Oh, not him. He did not uh, even. He was just talking nun, to me. The, the nun. It was the nun. I'm sorry. I mixed this up. This guy was just talking to me about the trail. But at the right. same time, I'm ready to go. So It is scary as a woman to get approached yeah, by, yourself. by people you don't know. Yep, you're by I'm yourself. in the middle of nowhere. Who's even tracking my phone? Nobody. Yes. Yeah. You know. When, about this time, 1973, 74, late 70s, um, I was living in Westboro with my wife Allison, and, and I was teaching rape defense at the, the YWCA there. It's a little place. And the stories I heard, and uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm a big believer that women have to learn how to take care of themselves. Uh and women aren't conditioned to do this, unfortunately. I think women are more assertive nowadays than they were back then. I think so, 100% on that. You know, I teach a class and I'd say, well, now you're going to stick your fingers in his eyes and bring your knee up between his legs. And they would go like, ooh, do we really have to do that? <laughs> uh, when I tell people where I'm even going to aim with my knife, they're like, what? I was like, because I, I want him to not move. Yeah. I don't care if he survives or not. I want to be able to get away. If carotid, I need to run, carotid artery. I need to know where my knife is going fast and furious because I don't have time to do multiple stab wounds. You need to come by my house and right. It's kill and then run. Get the fuck out of those woods as fast as you can. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Side so note. let's move on to the the other suspect <laughs> we've got here. Yep. Yep. Um, and I'm going to use this guy's initials. I believe this man has passed away. He was 55 years old in 1973, so I really got to believe he's gone, but I, I would rather not use his name. I'm going to use his initials. C.A. He was born in 1918. He lived in the main street in Rutland, Massachusetts at the time, and again, I, I'm going from police notes here, as they reported to me. 
So he lived in Rutland and he hung out at the local diner and the eatery and he worked at the Perry Mill. Single man? Curious. Yes. Okay. And you'll see why a little bit further on. Um, police felt that Maureen would have recognized him. He was around town that much. He hitchhiked a lot and on a car. Some friend of his named Wilfred, I can use that name, I won't use the last name, asked him if he did the crime, and according to police notes, he eventually said he killed her. To the police or to Wilfred? To the police. Well, to the to Wilfred. Wilfred who reported that to the okay. police. Thank you. Claimed he threw the knife into a lake. And the police notes have two lakes mentioned, Foot Lake, Fast Lake, and both have question marks. Uh, they're question marks, I think, because we couldn't really read them from the police notes. Right. Yeah, so we couldn't tell what he had, what the police officer had written down. Right. Chicken scratch. Mm -hmm. Didn't go to Catholic school. According to a local witness, was known to hurt animals, have blackouts, and he hated women, especially women in shorts. Boy, I'm, you know... Showing those legs. He committed crimes of violence against women with a knife and strangulation. That was in the notes. That's very interesting. That knife is and strangulation interesting. is interesting because the neck, yep. right? So on the day of the murder, he was wearing a shirt that was a light tan color with designs on it. And it was torn. Cops noted that uh, he may have been in Stowe the day of the murder. He was never brought in. Stowe, Massachusetts isn't very far from Rutland. Yeah, but, but the far same time. enough. Yeah. Far enough. Yeah. So. But may have been in Stowe, like not verified. My right. impression was this guy was one of these people that would admit to anything. Um, he was what we call a ne'er do well, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, now, Shaw, he would have been about 55 years old at the time if he was the killer. Shock? And if Hold the on. police are telling people the killer is 19 or 20, that's a little old. What did she say? You just said Shaw. Shaw? Shaw was Leon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving all this shit in. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's like, it's going to be fucking crazy. Well, that'll crazy. be the end of us. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have like 70 comments like, who the fuck did it? Like, <laughs> so those were the major people. suspects that we could find any... Thank God I didn't mention them by name. Any evidence, uh, <laughs> evidence for? Did you know I had, I a contacted a psychic about this case? You contacted a psychic. I about did, this case. and one of the things he told me was uh, his publishers wouldn't allow him to do cases where the people were still alive. So I, I, I probably should have taken his advice. But yeah, there's actually a couple of psychics in the area. Uh, names that I won't mention here, that, but they were given to me, and, and I did try to contact them. One got back to me, this fellow Sam. <laughs> here I this go. fellow, anyway, son of Sam. Um, like, going he described himself to me as a clairvoyant psychic, and he's very popular. Um, the, the other psychic or medium, if you will, her website says that she... If you go to her for readings or whatever, 
or making contact with your, your dead relatives. The relatives are often there before you even arrive. So I found that an interesting piece of advertising. Um, but she never responded to they me. They already got the check. They knew that you paid. So they were like, you know what? She's paid. I'm going to show yeah. up. What was that lady in Ghost? Do you remember her name? Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, it's yeah. literally what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of the room! Get out of the room! Okay, guys. So that's what we got uh, for suspects, guys. I actually think the second suspect is somebody we should talk about. I feel like yeah. he was valid. Let's talk. Right? Yes, I agree. An older, single, white male that has a history of violence towards women, probably um, harming of animals is... Um, that is the lights going off. Sorry, yeah. guys, you don't see me, but... Oh, okay. Harming of animals is definitely a symptom behavior of the psycho um, uh, antisocial personality disorder, um, which is a common trait of psychopaths. So um, that is certainly something that would generally point towards he's someone that's capable. Agreed. Or if he so didn't commit this crime, he committed many others. Like why didn't the police bring him in? The it's in the police like they notes. Like, a policeman's taking these notes about this guy. Why didn't they bring him in? Well, okay. So I would say that um, maybe, like, how would he have gotten her into the field? Like, I can see how the couple would have overpowered her, carjacked her, got her into the field. But if we're uh, thinking that maybe he was hitchhiking and she picked him up and then he decides he's going to kill her, like... I don't know. Like, I just feel like that. I would like to go back to the back seat thing. He was already in the back seat before she pulled away. Maybe. Oh, from like, the hardware store. Right. He, he lives right downtown, yeah. right? So he, he works. At, he works at somewhere that he would frequent. Was do we know if they ever questioned the hardware store to see who uh, else was present in the hardware store that day? Oh gosh. Uh, we don't know for sure. Know, yeah. Yeah. We know that. Well, they must have been questioning somebody <laughs> because they knew what time she left. Um, so somebody told them that, uh, and it was last seen about one o'clock, leaving that store. This woman looks pretty vulnerable to me, so if I were that person, you could crawl in the back seat of her car if she didn't notice. Yeah. I could, it's feasible, I'm not saying that that's the reason, but I, as he was talking about this person, I was like, this is possible in my mind, you know? Mm -hmm. It's possible. Again, possibilities, probabilities. Mm -hmm. um, definitely, uh definitely possible um, <coughs> but never mentioned either in newspaper accounts or police notes or anything that we could find but yeah I mean it's uh, I used to pick up hitchhikers um, when I got my first car you know you feel sorry for people you're young you're dumb um, I don't know if a woman with a child in her car would pick up a hitchhiker so it would make more sense to me that if he was already in the car. If she recognized him, she probably would have. Yes, she would have recognized him. Yeah, yeah and we don't necessarily, we shouldn't go on the assumption that she actually was alive when they arrived at the field. So if somebody kidnapped her or assaulted her somewhere else, kills her in the car or wherever... Um, especially someone that's familiar with the town of Rutland, they may have decided to just dispose of the car there and not 
and she wasn't actually there because it's a very secluded area. And Rutland's mostly woods even now. So mm-hmm. you dump the car, you go through the woods, and you go home. But also off a main road. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is that um, I think Dad said that the guys who found the the bodies initially didn't realize that they were dead. And you would think that multiple stabbings or slicing throats open would be a pretty... Dis- but they're also young. Yeah, her head was under the rear of the car. Of the car. He could see blood, but apparently he didn't know she was dead. So... They would have to think just, something, though, right? Because if you saw a woman with her head under the car, wouldn't you be like, hey, lady, do you need help? Or, you know, like, so they must have known something. I'd be doing, right? like, feet, do your stuff. Um, but, no, I... I <laughs> feet, do your stuff. Just kind of what they did. They took off and went and found a cop. So, I, I don't know. I, I mean, again, it's, it's speculation. They probably did know. They got scared. They ran off, which is actually understandable, but they didn't want to admit to that. So. You, you know what? It let, is, let especially at um, their young age. You know, you're scared. Let, let's get a little scientific here. Okay. Ready. So th- there is a, um, there's a model in profiling killers, right? And it was developed by uh, Robert Keppel and Richard Walter, and it's used by the FBI um, so they developed this model, and they had four categories of homicidal offenders built on research conducted by the FBI. These typologies apply to all genders and have since been revised to encompass sexual and non-sexual murders. Now, guys, I'm going to bore you for a couple of minutes, but I, I'd like you to listen to them and then tell me, based on what we've been discussing, who you think, what, what type of murderer killed Maureen and, and her daughter. So the first category, power assertive. It's a personality type naturally attracted to occupations like law enforcement. Sorry, guys. Um, given the power and control that comes with a job, when I give these descriptions, the law enforcement groups, they all call out their buddies and go, hey, dude, that's so you. This is a macho man. The guy at the gym who grunts while deadlifting and then drops the weights and flexes his muscles in the mirror. We all know this person, right? Yeah. Yes. Or the woman nowadays, does it? Anyway. Person, I said I was gender neutral. <laughs> the individual often drives, according to the FBI, American-made cars. He's extremely homophobic. Believes he's God's gift to women. He can't be I am. And he's a braggart. <laughs> He'll take credit for his actions. He'll use opportunity and surprise to subdue a victim. The victim is abducted from an outdoor location, and this gets to what you guys are talking about. Their body will be moved to a secondary location. While an assault is planned, murder usually isn't. Murder will result when the perpetrator feels he or she is losing control over the victim. So that's the first category. Interesting. Keep that in mind. Second category, power reassurance. This is a dude who often lives in his mother's basement, playing video games at age 45. He's also the guy who approaches women in a park with his hand in his pocket in the shape of a gun to induce fear. He doesn't have the courage to use a weapon. If the weapon is used, it will most likely come from the victim and or his surroundings. He's a loner, socially awkward, a fantasizer. His crimes may include being a peeping Tom. When crimes escalate, the perpetrator 
imagines him or himself or herself, excuse me, to be in a relationship with the victim. In sexual crimes, this perpetrator is referred to as the gentleman rapist. Hmm. There is such a thing. If the victim is murdered, insertions may be present in the body. He will be obsessed with the crime, possibly collecting newspaper clippings about the event, also likely to have close proximity to the offender at all times, such as his or her pocket or vehicle, whatever. The personal, like the personal asserted offender, while an assault is planned, murder is often not, and results, again, from the sense perpetrators losing control of the victim. It's category two. Very similar to one in some ways. Category three. Got two more to go. Anger retaliatory. This individual often has mommy issues. Not even necessarily a mother, but an overbearing, sadistic, matriarchal figure who ran his life from the get-go. He hates women. Female offenders of this type are extremely rare. This is the first offender typology where both the assault and the murder are planned. An excessive amount of violence will be inflicted upon the victims. The signature of an anger retaliatory killer. He will pose his victim so that her back is facing him. In his mind, this solidifies his power and control over the victim, even at death. And the last one, anger excitation, category four. This last offender typology is of the original four is thankfully, thankfully the rarest. These are the Ted Bundys of the world. This offender takes extreme pleasure in the torture of his victims, the infection of pain. They are exceptionally smart and usually make excellent military material. They're very adept at compartmentalization. I'm not going to read through this whole thing because this obviously is not who we're talking. We're not talking about serial killer. Yeah. All right. Well, well, so what does the panel but... think? What do you think? Does any of these fit? I like number one, I think. Certain one. I think one and two both apply. Because two is so close to one, I feel like both of those... And they fit both suspects, right? Yeah, is that how you feel? Correct, yep. It could be either or, right? Right. You all feel that way, yeah? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, you know, it's definitely also that it's possible we don't even know who really did this because it could have just been a random carjacker. This was a time where people often hitchhiked through counties all the time, and it's not, you know, it could have been just somebody passing through. Drifter, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think where these things are of value is that when you when you go forward in the case looking at suspects and you get nowhere, yeah. right? Now you do what profilers do. You look at the crime scene, you, you extract evidence from the crime scene, and you try to project what is the profile of the killer. So hey, now we're working the other way. On an aside, Dad, are these the two guys that the uh, Mine Hunter Netflix series was about that created these four personality yeah. types of those? Yeah. yeah. That's a great series for anyone who hasn't seen it. Yes. I also, those categories fit in so many cases, if you think about it. Like, as he was reading them, I was thinking of this case, or this case, or this case, or this case that all had those people in them. Yeah. Like, you, it applies to so many cases yeah. that you, I mean, we're
little dorky where we read a lot of cases. So it sounds like number four, of course, that's the Ted Bundy. I don't think the person who did this was that smart or organized. And these people are are the brightest of these four categories. They're very, very smart. Think of how long it took to catch Bundy. Yeah. But you also think he started somewhere. True. So this is the 70s. This could have been a serial killer in the 2000s that started in the 70s and was like, hey, how do I kill people? And their first crime when they're serial killers is often fraught with mistakes or something gets out of control, yep. right? And and um, they kind of, I know sounds weird, but like refine their skills as they go, right? This as is going to sound so dorky, but my favorite Halloween is made by Rob Zombie. Mm-hmm. And he does like how Mike Myers became Mike Myers. And that part of it reminded me when David was talking about the animal killings and the... the it's how he became who he was. Right. It's a great Halloween because he talks about the psychic, the psychic part of it, like yeah. where your brain goes to kill all these people for no reason. Creepy. Yeah. It's so I don't have the background in psychology, unfortunately, that some people do. But definitely reading up a lot about killers, um, and who doesn't read up about, about <laughs> killers? Um, but My favorite thing to do. Yeah. I mean it. There definitely is common trends, and those common trends actually come into light often with serial killers, the harming of animals. Um, That's a very common one. Um, But not all people who are psychopaths or antisocial personality disorders ever commit murders, and some may only commit one or two, um, but they're certainly capable of them. So We're all capable of committing murder. Yeah. We, I say this all the time, and everybody makes fun of me and says, I can't do it, but you are. Well, if you drink your hands on my neck. Every single human being on this planet can commit murder. It's what puts you to that point that you're going to do it. But the people that we're talking about are more like, they want more. Right. They get more out of murder. We're all murderers. We all stop ourselves for some reason. Mm, well, certainly all animals. Um... I often think that the people who do these kind of things, they're missing something. Yeah. Missing an inhibition, they're missing a break that most of us have. Um, Not but just you're missing right. a break, I, mean, I think they're missing love, too. Like, there's a, a, if you look at a part of these, to go completely dorky, life is about love, right? In 100%. It's not about your love of, like, a husband or wife, but it's about, like, love in general. It's about your kids, it's about your life. Everybody wants to live a life of love. And if you're alone, you live an isolated life. Human beings weren't meant to live isolated. Uh, pack animals, right? In a way. We are pack mm-hmm. animals. Yeah. So we are meant to want people. And if they don't have people, they need it. Would you be interested in some names? If, you know, no, thank you. Love <laughs> no, thank you. Um, so I only have one more little section, and then we could probably wrap it up. All right, let's hear it. So... All the way to July of 2015, all these years, the Worcester County District Attorney's Office said that the state police detectives assigned to the District Attorney's Office, as well as other units from the Mass State Police and the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, performed the exhumation, exhumation, exhumation. in Fairlawn Cemetery, thank you, not an excommunication anyway. Um, they probably could have done that as well. In Fairlawn Cemetery in Boston for a local case. 
they were trying to collect DNA evidence for comparative purposes related to these murders. Isn't that wild? That was July 2015. Is where we're going. Like, this could have been one of his first ones. Like, as much as we already said four isn't a factor, it could be a factor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That statement you just made made four a big contender. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it is right off a major road. Like, when we all think about it, 120, that area is a major road. It can connect 290, it connects, you know, like you. Yeah, can, it connects right to 122. Very close to that. Yeah, back then, I'm trying to think, like, back then, the Mass Pike had been built, in, uh, that was built in the 50s, right? Yeah, so. but at the same time, Worcester no, and Boston didn't get yeah. along, so that's why there was no exits. Okay. I don't, yeah, right. There were no exits in the Mass Pike because Worcester and Boston were like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. So, so it took it, years for Worcester to get exits off that because of so mayors I, having a big pissing contest. Boys. <laughs> So I read several articles about this exhumation. Ex exhumation? Yeah, when they exhumed the body. This damn Mai Tais. Um, Blame the Mai Tais. Okay, I will. Uh, you can find a lot of articles about this digging up the body. Let's just put it that way. Digging up the body. Digging Let's up do it. the body. Anyway. It's more physical anyway. The results of this activity? Nothing. So that's the last I heard on this, or read on this, or, or otherwise. But it's interesting, again, they're trying to match DNA. It almost sounds like a, a familiar, you know, familiar type of thing. So, so anyway, that's what I have, guys. So kind of like the Molly Bish case, again, mm. we may never know who committed these crimes. But it is interesting that decades later, they're still being investigated. You know, somebody is still trying to figure it out. Yeah, my, my motive here is not thinking that I could ever solve anything like this. It is to keep this in people's memories as much as I can. This lady never got justice, and lady right. and her daughter. Um, and to just think, okay, it's dropped, you know, we give up. I think it's dropped because the police don't even have it on record. Like, nobody's even actively, like, hanging out with this mm -hmm. case. Yep. That's the interesting part to me. Like... I guess the murder is interesting as well because I love murders. But the interesting part for me is that it's not even like logged. Yeah, in and, a lot of spots. You know, in Rutland, where they do now have a police department. I mean, very good. We've police seen, department. yeah, they have a good police department, and they can't be that busy. I mean, <laughs> the town really isn't like this crime haven. It's uh, beautiful you know, waterfalls. But beautiful yeah. waterfalls. It's one of those towns where they can actually explain to you that you can't actually tip a cow. Um, you know, it's that kind of town. <laughs> so. David, have you tried to say, tip a cow? You can't tip a cow. Cows do not sleep standing up. <laughs> they don't sleep standing up. And if you try to push over a cow, the cow is bigger than you. It will not sit there and let you push it. It's just going to walk away laughing at you. And you've you done this, right? <laughs> I know that you've tried this. Like, this is... Everybody who doesn't know David, he's tried to get this head cow. <laughs> you know, the person that introduced this to me, this crime, um, was a lady that grew up in Rutland. She's an older woman. She's probably in her late 70s, would be my guess right now. Um, and she knew a Rutland policeman who was obsessed with this case, even though they don't have the records. So it is the kind of case that really sticks with you, you know, and of course it would. 
Of course. Um, anyway, that's what I have for this week. All right. Well, so just a quick teaser then for next week. Next week we're going to be covering um, the story is actually going to be called The Drowning Men of Boston, and we're going to be covering the potential for a, the serial killer that is in Boston. And what kind of ties that this story to that story is that um, we're going to learn that there are some retired detectives that are so interested in solving the crime that they can't let it go, which is kind of similar as to what's happening in, in this case and why we still talk about some of these cases. So, unless there's anything else, we'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next Pass week. Pass the mic, Ty. Yeah. Oh. <laughs>